0: How's it going, y'all? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold but the takes are hot. Today we have a little bit of a different episode, a little heavier on the golf and NFL as we release our rankings for the draft coming up here two weeks from today, actually. Um, Baseball started. We got some NCAA baseball rankings. Um, NBA playoffs are about to start tomorrow. Um, College football, some little bit of news there recently. So Pretty even, uh, but heavier on the golf and NFL more so than some other things. We're going to jump right into it here uh, in the golf world. Probably the most iconic event of the golf season is the Masters that's played down at Augusta National Golf Course in Augusta, Georgia. Um, This past Sunday, the event concluded. And the former Longhorn, Scotty Scheffler, who was currently ranked world number one going into the event, won it at 10 10 under by shooting three under his first day, five under his second, and one under his last two days Um, by not only earning himself $2.7 million, but his fourth win in his last six starts. So in about the last two months, he's probably accumulated up to nearly $6 million, which is just crazy. Um, Rory McIlroy came in second place at seven under. Um, He was one over to start the day, actually, He shot a eight under 64, which was one shot off from tying the course record at Augusta national for his final rounds. And he still earned 1.6 mil. So on the final day, Rory and his playing partner, Colin Morikawa were heading into the final stretch and they got to the 18th hole. I think Rory missed his shot left and then hit it in the bunker shy of the green for his second shot. Colin ended up in that same bunker on the other side, with his second shot. So they were both chipping out of the greenside bunker for what would have been their birdie chip, I guess. And they both hold it actually. So they both got birdie on that hole. And it kind of crazy because within a span of a minute, you see two guys hole a pretty impossible shot out of the bunker. If you find the footage, Rory McIlroy was basically lined up like 40 feet to the right of the hole, knowing how the green slanted and how the ball was going to come out of the sand. So kind of crazy there. Uh, To wrap up the masters, but nonetheless, an exciting event with lots of action.
1: Yeah, man i I was shocked at the round that Roy put Roy put together. Um, One of the more impressive feats, I think, we've probably ever seen from a guy, especially at his age. I mean, he's not young anymore. He's not in his prime by any means. Um, He's still a phenomenal golfer, and as he's shown, he's more than capable of going out and winning any sort of uh, whatever the event is every on any given you know Thursday through Sunday. Any given round, he could be the best player on the course, which he was on on Sunday. Um, pretty impressive. Uh, I know my pick from episode six was Dustin Johnson. He finished tied for twelfth at one over. He actually had a great first two days and choked a little bit on the second day, going four over on the or on the third round rather. Um, so I'm 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 a little upset that my prediction did a little bit better, but uh, I was feeling strong about it through the, for the first two rounds.
0: Yeah, my uh, pred- prediction was the young American, Will Zalatoris, and he ended up finishing sixth. That I believe was three under, um, so kind of was right there in the thick of things for the whole tournament. Uh, in the episode before, two weeks ago from today, I picked Rory, but then I kind of updated my pick, so I can't say I picked Rory. But
1: I mean, granted, nobody nobody was picking Roy to go eight under on 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 Sunday, right? Um, yeah, I mean, you'd have to be crazy was, to do that.
0: That was the lowest round throughout all four days by three strokes, which was kind of yeah. crazy. Um, but another news, Tiger Woods also played the Masters, which was easily the headline of the event. Uh, it was awesome. The first full-capacity Masters since 2019 when Tiger also won it. Um, so it was just awesome to see every time he was walking down the fairway or heading to the next tee box. There was just tons of cheers and really good for the sport as the sport continues to grow and – Tiger playing, viewership was going crazy. Um, I saw some footage of the local Augusta Airport. There were hundreds of private jets in their own like wing of the airport, which was just insane. Pretty crazy. Um, but Tiger didn't play that well after the first couple days. Uh, he finished in 47th, and while he did make the cut, he finished his four rounds at 13 over. Uh, he shot a one under 71 on Thursday, a two over seven on Friday, and six over 78s on both Saturday and Sunday. So I didn't couldn't really go into that event with any expectations for him as it was his first round in over 500 days on the PGA Tour. Um, and always tough when your first round back is with probably the most rowdy crowd at a PGA event ever on the most iconic stage. Um, so couldn't expect too much from him, but nonetheless, just an awesome thing to see that here in 2022 – Tiger's playing the Masters and he looks to be playing another event as the current, the way it stands currently, Tiger plans on playing in the U S open on June 16th at his, for his next event. So about a two, two, three month break where he can kind of recuperate, get the leg, right. Any nagging back issues. Um, he should be able to get in a lot better position to be able to play and win the U S open.
1: Yeah, I was, I was talking to my dad, uh, on Sunday as kind of the masters was closing out. Um, I said, man, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a golfer look more tired and more exhausted than Tiger did after his, after he, his last put on 18. Um, I mean, he just looks so tired and understandably. I mean, the guy hadn't golfed in how long and he's like, you said, the, the, the nagging back injury, the, the leg injury. Um, I was just glad to see him out there playing. Uh, it's good for the game of golf, that kind of thing. Uh, like I said, they recovered from the accident. Uh, and just the ability for 2022, like you said, to, to watch Tiger play the Masters, um, no matter how he finished, was is something for the ages. And 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 I think people are now understanding that like we got to enjoy Tiger golfing while we still can, because I don't know how much longer he's able to golf at this high of a level, be able to make not only get to the Masters but make the cut and get to rounds two and three, so um, or two, three and four rather. Um, hopefully, he does well at the U.S. Open. I think him taking this time off will be a big help to him. Um, he should get some time to get his legs under him. I'm not looking for him to go out there and perform and even finish in the top top 10. I'm just looking for him to go out there and golf, uh, make the cut hopefully, and and just keep watching him golf. He's an all-time great.
0: Yeah, it's awesome to see. Um, but this event coming up that we have, the first opening round is actually today, the RBC Heritage um, down at Hilton, Hilton Head Island. Uh, Stuart Sink won the event last year, and he'll be there this year trying to win it for a second consecutive year, but the field looks pretty good. Um, Obviously not as good as the masters as that's kind of like the super bowl for every golfer. A lot of the times the event the week after the masters, you don't see as many good players in it just because they just finished the masters. Normally they played the few weeks leading up to it and they kind of want to take a week off, but the field is better than expected um, for the event this weekend, which should be exciting. Probably watch a little bit. Um, That's pretty much it on the golf front. Just, Pretty big pat this past week just because the Masters, Tiger getting back on the golf stage. Awesome to see. But we're going to shift into some MLB here as opening day started about a week ago already. Uh, it's gone by pretty quick, but nothing too shocking. Haven't seen too much out of the ordinary um, from what teams preseason expectations were.
1: Yeah, um, like you said, there's not been a ton of surprises. Uh, you know, the teams that are supposed to look good have looked good for the most part. I mean, you know, Dodgers lost their first series of, of the season, but they went one and two in Coors Field in Colorado. I mean, a lot of good teams are going to start the season moving to losing a series here and there. Um, I think, you know, the Rays dropped a game. Uh, Yankees dropped a couple games. So, again, most of the teams you're thinking would be good have been pretty good. Um, nothing too surprising in terms of guys who've looked awful or looked great. Uh, I know, the, I guess the one surprising thing for me is that there's been no major injuries yet. Usually there's, by this point in the year, going through spring training, maybe there's a shortened spring training uh, is part of it, but there's usually an injury or two to a, to a, a major guy uh, for certain teams uh, kind of around this time of the season, kind of about a week or so in, uh, about a month through the season. So glad to see that everyone's been healthy for the most part. There's been no major injuries across Major League Baseball. Um, I know there's a couple guys that have had some massive outings. I know yesterday, Clayton Kershaw went seven perfect innings yesterday while striking out 13 against the Minnesota Twins. It was some really ugly weather. It was a 10, 10 a.m. start for him, body time. Uh, I believe it was a – it was probably what, a f- 1 o'clock Eastern time start. So, uh, really early start for them, for the guys out in uh, – usually on L.A. time. But he looked great. Uh, only pitched 80, 80 pitches. Uh, Doc pulled him after the seventh inning when he hit 80 pitches. Um it was released afterwards after the game was talked about uh, heavily talked about in the baseball community. I guess the fact that he pulled him uh, basically was due to longevity reasons. It's April. Uh, they know they're going to need him in October to make it, to make a run of the postseason. So as much as I'm a fan of, of Clayton Kershaw, and a Dodger fan. Um, he's probably my favorite player of all time. As much as I would have loved to see him get the perfect game. I understand that it's probably the right decision um, to not have him push through a hundred pitches because that's probably what it would have taken at least to get there to, to the ninth inning. Um, so, I, I agree with the fact. And while it's painful, I understand why they pulled him yesterday.
0: Yeah, no, 100% makes sense. Definitely the right move, regardless of how well he's pitching. You guys want your guys staying healthy down the stretch of the season. Um, but for my team, Orioles, about what I expected here the opening week, we are one and five. The Brewers just took the rubber match against us last night. It was John Means versus Corbin Burns. Um, Really good game. It was two to two going into the ninth, and the Brewers got two in the top of the ninth, and that was it. Um, Normally, if you score a run against the Orioles, you're going to win. So the Orioles started the season by getting swept in Tampa Bay. Uh, The Rays, I think, shut them out two of the three games, probably a plus 10, minus 10 for the Orioles' run differential just off the bat. And then... The second series, they came home to Baltimore and faced the Brewers in a three-game set. Cedric Mullins had a grand slam in the game, the opening game of the series. Uh, They snagged that game, and they dropped the next two. So uh, one in five going into their third series of the year. I just, anything really more than 60 wins, I'll be happy with. I don't know if we get there, um, but this should really be our last year of kind of, sucky baseball for Baltimore is at least next year, they should be around 500 and then better than better than that from there. So, um, but another news around the American league East, uh, my pick for MVP, Vlad Guerrero jr. Last night I was getting notifications on my phone. I was like, Vlad goes deep 443, And then like, I get another one. And then I get another one. I'm like, this dude has three homers in one game against the Yankees in the Bronx. Um, and they came off Garrett Cole, too. So it's not just like he was facing some scrub on the mound. Um, but, no, the Blue Jays look about expected. They look good. Uh, it was funny. There was a clip that went viral of the Yankees announcer. If you ever watch baseball, you know the Yankees announcer's voice. Um, he was. It was top of the – or bottom of the eighth. There were two outs, one runner on they were down by two. Giancarlo Stant was at the plate, so if he hit a home run, the game would have been tied 6-6. He gets to the plate and hits one where from the angle that you're viewing the plate, it looks like it's gone just based off his swing and how quick it comes off and the uh, launch angle, but he was commentating like it was hit 500 feet, and it's caught at the warning track. It was so funny. Um, Sometimes you'll see that. And MLB where they misjudge it. And it's hard to tell through the TV, but it looked really funny when all the Yankees fans were standing up and then it just gets caught at the wall and they all sit down and Yankees lost. Um, so I think Blue Jays are ahead in the standings in the AL East right now. But that, that was just really funny that I saw from yesterday.
1: Yeah, no, it's even funnier that it's the Yankees. I mean, I personally like the Yankees. Yeah. Um... I know you don't like the Yankees either, Brett. So I think it's I think it makes it extra funny for most people. because most people don't like the Yankees that much. Uh but yeah, no, Vlad, great outing. Um, he looks really good. He has he had a homer, uh, I think in the series prior. Uh so he's at four homers in the year now, three of which coming against the Yankees. Like you said, two coming off Garrett Cole's impressive. Uh man, Garrett Cole does not look good to start the year. He got shelled early in his first start on opening day, and he got shelled yesterday too. Um so the Yankees certainly have not figured out their starting pitching yet, and it seems like Garrett Cole uh, hasn't quite gotten his arm to where it needs to be, which I don't think a lot of starters are, to be honest with you. Um, I think the shortened spring training is going to – you're going to see a lot of guys who you think should look a lot better starting pitchers-wise um, look mediocre, per se, or just above average, not instead of great or good. Um, right. That's just the nature of of the shortened uh, spring training. I think there's a lot of pitchers who are you know, – you're only seeing guys go – some guys go five, four or five innings, six innings, because their arms are just aren't built up enough to go, you know, a full seven or eight. So that'll kind of, be guess, be a trend we see as, as the season goes on here. But we'll get into NCAA baseball real quick. Um, not a ton change this weekend. There's a little bit of movement in the rankings. Um, big weekend coming up for some series here in college baseball this weekend. But uh, last weekend, Texas Tech State at four um, in this week's rankings although they've lost four of their last seven, including they like a lost both games in their midweek series this week, or no, sorry, that was last week. Only played one game midweek series this week or one, one midweek game rather against Oklahoma. They lost last night in Amarillo. Um, They're in Fort Worth this weekend. It'll open up a three game set against TCU, another top 25 ranked team. So uh, that should be, should be an interesting series, interesting set for them.
0: Yeah. I assume we have Andrew Morris going tonight, Brendan Birdsell going tomorrow. Um, Very few teams are playing on Sunday this weekend due to Easter, so most series you'll see are shifted a day up, which should lead to the starters pitching a day earlier, um, which shouldn't be a problem for them. Pitching once a week shouldn't be a problem at all. Um, Definitely something to look forward to. TCU has a really, really good offense. Uh, They have one really good pitcher that's pretty good, um, probably be the third best pitcher on our staff, but definitely a team that could, sweep you if you don't, if you're not playing well, making some errors, you know, striking out. You definitely want to get guys on base frequently against them and make sure you bring them around and not leave them on base because that's definitely been a trend for Texas Tech recently is the game on Tuesday in Amarillo. They left two guys on in the inning in five of the innings, I believe. So definitely need to start producing with runners in scoring position because that's how you're going to win games. Solo home runs against really good teams are not going to win you games especially as we get down the stretch, you're playing, you know, a top four team in the big 12. We got another series versus Oklahoma state here in a few weeks, West Virginia looks really good. Um, so just, you gotta be playing your best ball here down the stretch as we get into these probably like five series, four series left in the big 12. Definitely want to get a good seating going into the tournament and then eventually hopefully hosting super regional and regional, but outside of that, um, in the national rankings, Arkansas dropped a few spots from two to number six. Texas State dropped from 10 to 19. Arizona dropped from 11 to 20. And Ole Miss dropped all the way from nine to 25. A lot of people, kind of the consensus was Ole Miss shouldn't be ranked. Um, they think they're just keeping them in there because they're a bigger name. You know, they'll come back around. There's no point in having them unranked for a week. Uh but I thought West Virginia should have definitely been in the rankings. Uh, they host Oklahoma State this weekend, so it'll definitely be could be a statement series for West Virginia. Uh, if they can end up winning that series, or by the slim chance that they sweep, should definitely be garnering pretty a good bit of national attention. Um, but nothing crazy in terms of teams moving up. Miami jumped from eight to two. I believe they took two of three from number three or four of Virginia last week. And a team that beat Texas Tech 2-1 to in the second game of the year, uh, University of Auburn, jumped from unranked to 17. A team that was really pre- predicted to finish ninth in the SEC, if I'm not mistaken, at the beginning of the year. And now they're ahead of Ole Miss, ahead of Mississippi State, um, fourth in the SEC, I mean, ahead of Vanderbilt, who's unranked. So, kind of crazy for the sec this year to see teams jumping all over the place normally the consistently good teams haven't been consistently good this season and that's just something you're not used to in college baseball where teams really are factories where they just ship players out and bring you know high caliber prospects right back in fill their role and you just don't miss a beat but this year we're seeing the maybe nil coming into play in terms of guys staying or transferring and leaving, and you're seeing some teams that have been really good are not being like not playing that well this year, and teams that haven't been projected that good or haven't been well playing well in the past few years are
1: playing really well. Yeah, I think I think the thing is the like you mentioned nil is the portal too. I mean, you're seeing a lot of guys that like Micah Dallas left Texas Tech a great example. He went to A and um, you know, there, it wasn't a guarantee he'd be a starter for us this year. He said, you know, what, I'm going I'm to go out of here, and I don't know if he's starting for AM or not. Um, but, you know, he didn't he didn't know if he was going to be in a, in a major role here, and so he wanted to go to a and be the bona fide closer for them. Um, so I think that's going to be a lot of the thing you're going to see. Um, like Texas Tech, they have their second-best pitcher is Andrew Morris, the guy who transferred in this offseason um, from a school in the middle of nowhere, Colorado. So I think, that, I think that's a big one. Um, baseball is going to be effective I think it's going to be a lot more parity i think college football will take its time to get there but uh like you're saying baseball we're seeing a lot more these factories and these teams that aren't you know are, are like vanderbilt for example is a team that you just they just churn through talent and they're always really good they're unranked this week um shockingly enough they're unranked i would disagree with it again with you i disagree that thought all may shouldn't have been ranked uh thought was virginia should have been ranked too uh, GCU is a team I thought should have been ranked this week after taking both of us, both of them from us uh, in, in Arizona last week. So, uh, but yeah, uh, overall college baseball parity is great. Um, I mean, was was last time we saw Tennessee and Miami as the one and two. So
0: right. and Tennessee lost to Tennessee tech this week. So crazy. Yep. Played with
1: wood bats. Pretty, pretty insane. Pretty cool. I, I like it. The Vanderbilt Tennessee is cheating crowd is going to, just going to go crazy for that. Um, I think it's just they use wood bats and, these kids don't use wood bats that often they haven't used them since they played summer league. So, um, but no, I think it was really cool. Um, like you, like you said, the parody is great for college baseball. Uh, I think it gets boring sometimes when you see the same eight to 12 teams in the college world series. Uh, so I think the parody this year is great. I think we're gonna see some new faces there, which would be awesome for the sport.
0: Yeah, I know. most definitely. Uh, like in any sport, you want to see new teams do well. You want to see Cinderella stories, so to speak. Um, Teams make it to places, rounds that they really weren't predicted to. No one really had them going. Uh, It's just awesome to see for any sport. But that pretty much wraps up the baseball front. Uh, We're going to shift to basketball here where in the NCAA level, we don't really have much to say other than a few guys declaring for the NBA draft process um, and some guys keeping their eligibility and entering the transfer portal to maybe see if they have a better fit at another school while also they can return to their current school. Um, but no notable guys. I know TCU star guard, Mike Miles, initially declared for the draft uh, maintaining his eligibility and now he's foregoing the draft process and will return to TCU for what is assumed to be just one final year, similar to what Baji did last year for Kansas. And we all see how, that panned out for them. So definitely the right move there for Mike Miles, um, really the star and the guy that keeps the wheels running on that team.
1: Yeah, I suspect we'll start seeing a lot of that pretty soon. Uh, I think Kevin McCullough is the guy we'll see to do the same thing. He declared uh, – he kept his eligibility, and I think we're going to see a lot of guys forego the draft here pretty soon. This is about when guys will start getting some draft reports. I um, you know TJ Shannon went through the process last year and forewent his, his NFL – his NBA draft uh push but that was after the workouts so it, i think now uh, guys will start kind of deciding to forego that the draft and come back to school for the extra year um and then we'll kind of get a break for a few months while about a month or so while these teams do workouts and the draft combine all that stuff and then uh right after that i think it was when we'll see like another way the guys decide not to go to the draft and come back to school for a year uh, which is what T.J. Shannon did last year. I think we'll see Kevin McCullough do a sim- similar thing. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of other majors that will have the same thing happen to them as well as majors, so. um, but the majors. But, yeah, the, kind of a boring time for college basketball. Um, not even a lot of speculation going on. I think people are talking a lot more about the NBA. Um, there's other baseball starting up draft soon. So college basketball gets its rest um, while the NBA playoffs are starting up. We've got the last couple play-in games. Um going to wrap up tomorrow and then we'll saturday we'll have the first couple rounds of the playoffs start um i know the playing games tomorrow is the hawks and the Cavs for the eighth seed in the east and the pelicans and the clippers will play for the eighth seed in the west um the already slated matchups in the playoffs are uh jazz versus our utah jazz versus dallas mavericks minnesota timberwolves versus memphis grizzlies toronto raptors versus philadelphia 76ers and then uh, denver nuggets versus the golden state warriors Then those will all take place on saturday
0: Yeah, and then Sunday we'll have the rest of the game ones. Uh, Two of the four games on Sunday will be the respective one seeds in each conference facing the teams that win the play-in games tomorrow. Um, So let's say, for instance, the Clippers beat the Pelicans in the play-in game tomorrow. Then the Clippers will then travel to Phoenix and they will play a series versus the Suns. So the Miami Heat won the East in the regular season, and the Phoenix Suns won the West in the regular season. So they'll be hosting the eight seeds, whoever wins the playing games tomorrow. Um, but we also have the Brooklyn Nets versus the Boston Celtics and the Chicago Bulls versus the Minnesota- Milwaukee Bucks. So those are two series I'm very interested in. I also am really looking forward to the Nuggets versus Warriors. Um, those are probably the three best series here in the first round. Um But nonetheless, interesting matchups that we have, matchups that we haven't normally had before. Uh, Raptors were 76ers, get a little rematch from that Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, Timberwolves, Grizzlies. Timberwolves are a team that you don't normally see in the playoffs, so that'll be a new matchup versus the young Grizzlies team, which should be exciting. And the Jazz versus the Mavs. Uh, Mavs are consistently a good team, a little better than normal this year, mainly due to Luka, who might not even be ready for game one.
1: Sounds like he's not going to play. I was going to say, I don't think he's going to play game one.
0: Yeah. Uh, And then the Jazz, who solid roster. Guys always come through. Really, really complete roster for them. So, some interesting series here. It'll be fun to see how in a couple weeks from now, probably around the same day as the NFL draft, we'll have the first-round results of the NBA. So, it'll be interesting to see, see who comes out on top each series. And, you know, go from there, I mean – I'm not sure what the matchups would be for the second round, but nonetheless, interesting, exciting. The NBA playoffs are getting going, full crowds, and it just when it gets really fun to watch the NBA.
1: Yeah, I think, like you said, I think this is kind of when the NBA season really picks up for people that prefer to watch college baseball or college basketball or football, whatever that may be. Um, so I think this is again really when the NBA gets exciting. It's a little impromptu, and we'll kind of run through this pretty quick, but not on our sheet but i just kind of came into my head let's do some let's do some predictions for the matchups we already have um i'll i'll all since i'm, I'm putting us on the spot i'll go first here um i'm going to take the mavs over the jazz even though i don't know i don't think Luke is going to play game 1 i still think they get it done they probably drop game 1 maybe game 2 but i think they ultimately get it done probably in 6 or 7 uh timberwolves grizzlies i'll take the grizzlies um they're just better than the timberwolves i think as much as i like anthony edwards don't know if that's enough to get it done against against Ja and, and the crew out in Memphis. Um, Raptors Sixers, I got to go Sixers. They're just better than the Raptors. Um, similar situation as, this, as the series that we just talk, I just talked about. Uh, just a better team. I think they're they look good right now too. They look really really good. Um, we'll see if they can have long term playoff success, which I'm not going to bet on. But for the first round series, I'll take them. Uh, Nuggets Warriors. I'm going to go with the Warriors. Although I think this game this series goes seven. Um, I think it's going to be a battle between. Uh, Steph Curry and Nikola Jokic. I think it's going to be a, a – it could be a, end up being a classic first-round series that we see between two really good teams. Um, and then our Sunday series that are going to start Sunday, uh, Nets-Celtics. I'm going to take the Nets. I'll probably take them in five. I think they're going to roll them. Uh, Kevin Durant's a man on a mission. Kyrie's finally back playing. They're in a groove. So I'm going to take the Nets to, to roll the Celtics in that series. Uh, Bulls versus Bucks. I'm going to take the Bucks. As good as the Bulls have been, they just – they've struggled to stay healthy and, and play – get everyone on the court at the same time, and the Bucs look really good right now. Um, again, Giannis is a guy who always plays well in the playoffs. Same with Chris Middleton. He's a different player in the playoffs. So I'll go Bucks probably in five or six. Um, I guess out of the, the eight-seed games, I'm going to go with the Pelicans and the Hawks. Uh, the Hawks will lose to the Heat, I think, in, uh, in the first round, probably in five or six games again. And then the Suns will sweep, whoever they play, whether it's the Clippers or the Pelicans, I guess they will go Pelicans for the sake of this, but I think they get sucked by by Phoenix.
0: Yeah, I got a couple different picks um, compared to yours. I'm gonna go with the Jet, the Mavs, though. Excuse me. Uh, probably in six games, uh, I think they drop one of the games they have here in Dallas in the next few days. But once Luca gets healthy, like you said, shouldn't be an issue. Um, he matches up well with that uh, Utah backcourt. And then we have Timberwolves versus Grizzlies, and I'm going to take the Grizzlies. I think the Timberwolves are a really good team. I think they could take one early, uh, maybe one of those first two games in Memphis. Then I see Grizzlies probably winning it in six. Raptors, Sixers, like you said, taking the Sixers. Not too bad travel for the teams, but still think the Sixers are just a good bit better and the uh, Raptors don't really have the guys to match up with that roster. So I'll take the Sixers in five. Nuggets-Warriors, uh really interesting series. A lot of the times you don't get these first-round matchups of two high-caliber teams, but definitely see this one going six or seven. I think it probably goes six. I'll have the Warriors winning that one. Um, as for the Nets versus Celtics, that's a seven versus a two. want to take the Nets, Uh, I also want the Nets to win as a Spurs fan. We have the Celtics first-round pick, so the quicker they get eliminated, the higher the pick will be for the Spurs. And I just think the Nets are going to win. They're healthy. They're going to get hot. And I think when you have two high, high high-caliber guys compared to one, it definitely gives you an edge, and you're not really traveling anywhere, so you don't have to worry about that. And then we have the Chicago Bulls versus Milwaukee Bucks. another series where you're not really traveling anywhere. Probably about 45 minutes, I believe, is the drive from Milwaukee to Chicago. And I'm going to take the Bucks. I think they've been more consistent and they have the playoff experience that a lot of the guys on the Bulls roster don't have. And then for the two series that the one seeds are awaiting their opponent from tomorrow's games, I'm going to pick the Hawks and the Clippers to win the play-in games, and the Hawks will then play Heat in a series. And I'm going to take the Heat in six. I think the Hawks take a couple that, you know, they probably shouldn't. They're going to win one in Atlanta. That's probably just a given, and I think the Heat will get it done in the end. And then Suns versus the team I'm picking to win tomorrow, the Clippers. I think the Suns do it in five or six. Probably go with five. Um, they just look too dominant right now. And similar to Milwaukee, they have that playoff experience. And they're bringing a lot of guys back. And they're playing well. They just have a really complete roster and a lot of guys that, you know, can get it done.
1: Yeah, I like those picks. Um, yeah, I think we're on the same page for most of them in terms of how the series will go and how long they'll go. I think most of these series probably go five five to six. Let's say that they're first-round matchups, but uh, definitely some good – uh, matchups we don't usually see in the first round like you said Nuggets Warriors is gonna be a solid one um, we'll kind of get off basketball here we'll go to college football uh, top 25 start kind of start rolling in preseason cultural prediction playoff prediction start rolling in um, kind of the real signal at the beginning of the offseason since most teams kind of wrap up their spring get their spring football here in a few weeks um, got some notable spring games between now and then next week's episode on Thursday so we'll kind of cover those today this is probably the busiest few days we're going to have for spring games all off season and all year. Uh, we got actually today, we have UTSA and Florida going. Uh, they're probably going to start here in the next probably couple hours from when we're recording this um, on Thursday, uh, Iowa state goes tomorrow on Friday and then Saturday there's a whole slew. So I'll kind of get this first half of them. Uh, SEC has got a handful of teams going Alabama got Georgia, the defending champs, uh, Arkansas, Mississippi state, Vanderbilt, and South Carolina, and then uh, just north in the ACC, you've got uh, Miami or the U, uh, Wake Forest, Virginia Tech, and Duke. And then i um, got a couple other Power 5s, a couple G5 schools that are going on Saturday as well.
0: Yeah, um, definitely interested to see how those, you know, Bama, Georgia, Miami, the big-name programs, what scouts are there. Um, spring game is definitely a good time for scouts to look out for next year's prospects um, while they're preparing for scouting this year's. uh, Seeing next year's prospects go against each other at these high caliber programs is definitely something worth seeing when you're comparing guys on a big board like we're about to do here in a few minutes. But in the Big Ten, we have Ohio State, Michigan State, and Indiana who will have their spring games here in a few days. And then we also have Oregon State from the Pac-12 will have their spring game. And Kansas State have an early spring game here for the Big 12. Most of the Big 12 spring games here will be coming up in a few weeks, um, including Tech. And then we have our group of five school, future Big 12 school, and UCF who will be having their spring game this weekend as well. Uh, Like you said, not a whole lot here. The college football front outside of the draft. Drafts pretty much all of college football right now. And it's going to be NFL in a couple weeks. Uh, So we are going to head into a few things that we had planned for y'all. We're going to do position rankings, uh, top five players at each position that are slated to be drafted here in a couple weeks. But outside of that, um, in the NFL world in general, outside of the draft, not a whole lot to talk about. Uh, There were a couple reports swirling today that some – Reporters will be surprised if Kyler Murray played out his rookie contract in Arizona. Um, definitely something to look out for as a lot of QBs are being signed. We just saw Derek Carr get signed for, I believe it was, three years extension, so four years left on a total deal. And it's about 40 a year. I think if you include four, all four years, he'll make 35 a year. Uh, with his new extension, so yeah, they they gave themselves
1: the... an they gave themselves an out after the after this year. Essentially, it's a weird contract the way they did it, but um, yeah, for basically a, a, a four year deal.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's crazy that a lot of the quarterbacks are getting paid thirty five plus over the next four or five years. Um, could definitely pay off for some teams, and I think it'll bite other teams in the butt down the stretch as you know the salary cap increases, but. When you don't have a quarterback, it doesn't really matter how much cap you have. Uh, But in other news, as we shift to the draft for pretty much the rest of this episode we have today for y'all, Trevon Walker, a highly touted edge rusher out of the University of Georgia, continues to get some buzz as being the top overall pick. Saw a couple reports over the past few days that teams have him high on the board and saw a few other players that were being mentioned on teams' boards and kind of shocking. Um, But I don't know if teams – I don't know what they see in Trayvon Walker that would result in him being first overall pick. I mean, it really, I guess, just matters what is Jacksonville seeing in him um, to make him the first overall pick as they have their choice of a really nice edge class.
1: Yeah. The thing with Trayvon Walker that, that I think everyone's kind of forgetting is like he didn't play edge rusher at Georgia. If you watch the tape, if you turn the tape on, which I know all these teams are doing, he played consistently. I probably his most lined up in technique on the defensive line was right on the tackle. Um, you know, and granted, he got he got kind of the the reason that Jermaine Johnson left and went to Florida State was because he didn't get enough edge rusher reps and. Surprised Trevon Walker to do the same thing, as crowded as that D-line was. Um, you know, Georgia's probably going to have two more, if not more, first-round pick defensive linemen next year. Uh, one probably going to the top ten. It, so, you know, it, it's – I personally, and we'll get into this with our position rankings here in a second, but I'm not buying the hype on Trayvon Walker. I understand why, though. He, his athletic testing was freakish. Um, he's maybe the best athlete on the D-line in this class and I think I can confidently say that, you know, his numbers are mirror images of those of miles Garrett's numbers. Now the miles Garrett comp is not good for him. I don't think personally from play style, he's not as dominant a player was as miles Garrett was at AM. Um, nor do I think he'll be this, the same player that miles Garrett is in the, in the NFL, which is one of the best, if not the best edge rusher in the NFL. So, um, but I guess I get it at, at the same time, um, you know, you see the athletic profile with these guys and, and, if one day the switch flips for him and something clicks in his brain uh, and and he can get the pass rush down, he could be a, a top pass rusher in the NFL with that athletic profile. So um, I wouldn't be picking him at one, wouldn't be picking him at two, let alone when I'd be picking him at like eight, especially with the edge class. Um, like I said, as we'll get into our edge rankings here pretty soon, I have quite a few guys listed ahead of him. Um, but I, I, I guess I, I kind of understand the, the thought process behind it for these teams being the athletic profile being what it is.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely something to look for here with a lot of reports coming in the next few weeks leading up to the draft, especially on draft day. It's when a lot of the reports come out that teams maybe are thinking things of prospects that no one's really thought of or people are surprised of. But we're going to head into our top five players at each position. Obviously, this is just what we think, excluding team fit, Um, the results of this will likely be somewhat affected by the team they go, the system for their play style. So while the quarterback that could be the best of this class maybe has the best stats after year one, year two, they might not be the best quarterback. It's just their system is really, really good. Um, So that's always something to remember when we do these rankings. So
1: Yeah, and I think – and I'll hit on that right before we start – Quarterbacks, especially, is the biggest one. But like, here's an example: I don't have Traylon Burks in, in my top five receivers. I think Traylon Burks would be one of the first four receivers, second off the board. That's due to the fact that, like, I think he'd be a lot better in certain on certain teams than other players would. And I think he he's gonna fit a very niche role in the NFL. And I think when he could he could do that and be a top twenty receiver in the NFL. But in terms of pure wide receiver prospects for every team, we're not like if I'm talking for the Chargers my wide receiver board of who they'd fit is, is different than what the actual receiver board looks like. Um So that's something that I, I thought I'd throw out there too, um, that these rankings are going to be about the players, not where they could go in the first round, like or where they can go in the second round or third round. It's going to be more about grading and ranking these players as, as, as players, not just where they'll fit in the NFL.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Um Definitely be exciting to on draft night to see where these players go and see.
1: Absolutely. You
0: know, kind of thinking ahead about how they'll fit into the team, who they'll be playing with on that offense, how can the offense surround him with the right guys. Because every quarterback's different, and there's no mold to run an offense successfully. It's all team-specific, system-specific, quarterback-specific.
1: 100%. Um,
0: So that's always something when teams make their draft boards to look out for and how and why every team does their boards so differently. We're going, to start, we're going to start with our fifth best player at the position and then work up to the first best. We're going to start here on offense. And then we're going to go to defense. So we're going to start at quarterback position. And at number five, I'm going to go with Desmond Ritter, quarterback out of Cincinnati. Um, definitely a guy that reports are saying will be a first-round pick. Um, it's pretty pretty much a lock as of now that he'll go in the first round on Thursday night two weeks from today. Um and I'm thinking about who could trade up maybe into the first round, who at the end of the first round could take him. There's always Detroit. Um, but something to look out for, though, is a guy who really had a loaded team those few years in Cincinnati, especially on defense and a few good offensive guys. So have him at five here. I think he is not as complete as some other quarterbacks in this class. And then at number four, I'm going to do Sam Howell out of UNC. Um, I like him a lot. I think he has all the tools to be a successful uh, quarterback in the NFL. I don't know where he'll go. Probably similar to Kyle Trask of last year. I think he'll be a second, maybe third round pick, but most likely second, knowing how quarterbacks are drafted in the NFL these days. And then at number three, I got Matt Corral, who is the quarterback from Ole Miss, a guy that had trouble staying on the field. He had a few injuries this past season. Um, And a guy who I think might be the most pro ready quarterback in this class. Uh, So definitely be interested to see where he goes and I hope he gets a really good fit. I think he's a really, really good quarterback. If he stayed healthy, he'd probably be higher on my rankings. You always have to take injury uh, prone to injury. Uh, You always have to think about that in the back of your head figure out how they could pan out in the NFL. Second on my list, I have Kenny Pickett out of Pittsburgh. And I think, you know, the Panthers who pick at six, they've been making a few calls about trading out of six, potentially kind of laying groundwork for teams that want to trade up. Um, But if they do decide to go quarterback, the two guys really, I think they could go with are the two guys at the top of my list and Pickett. Um, Matt Rule, the head coach of the Panthers, when he was at Temple before he was at Baylor and then going to Carolina, he recruited Kenny Pickett when he was at Temple. So he has that connection, kind of known him before he made his commitment when he was in high school. And the Panthers owner was a Pitt uh, alumni. So something to look out for there for the team that's probably first on the board that needs a quarterback. And then number one, uh, I'm going to go with Malik Willis, quarterback out of Liberty, a guy that I think, has a cannon for an arm similar to a couple of other quarterbacks in this draft. Carson Strong, who didn't make the top five, also has a cannon. Um, but Malik has a really, really good arm for his size and really good run ability as well for how big he is. Um, I think he could be a shiftier Cam Newton. And I think he being in the right offense, I don't know if he plays year one, like we've mentioned in our mock drafts, but if he had to happen to play year one, uh, it's all going to depend on what the scheme looks like and who they have surrounded by him. So those are my five guys in order from five to one. And now I'm going to swing it over to you and let you kind of talk about what guys you think are, you know, top five in the class.
1: Yeah, um, pretty similar. To, same guy, same five guys, a couple different uh, things order wise. But my my number five, same as yours, Desmond Ritter, Um I think there's something to be said for a guy who's won a lot of games, and I think he's he's got that capability to do so. Um, I just don't see it with the arm at all, personally, for me. Um, I think he's there's other guys who have better arms in this class and um, just arm talent in general. I think as we've seen as of late, it's better to bet on the arm talent. Um, like you said with Malik Willis, it's better to bet on the arm talent. So with Desmond Ruder, I'm kind of betting on the lack of arm talent here at this ranking. Um Number four, a similar thing with Esmond Ritter with lack of arm talent is Kenny Pickett is my fourth quarterback on the board out of Pittsburgh. Um, a guy who's probably going to get drafted ahead of the guy, two guys I have at, two, at three and two. Um, you know, He's got a better athletic profile than both those guys probably in terms of running the ball. Um, but I just – I don't know. Again, it's something we can said for guys who win games, and, and Kenny Pickett is a guy who's played really, really well in big games like the Clemson game this year. But um, I just don't know if I see it at the next level for him – in terms of processing and, uh, just, just as a, as a downfield passer. Um, but I think he, 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 I think he's maybe the most priority guy. I think there's other guys in this class. Um, he's my second most priority guy, uh, personally. Um, but he's right there behind the guy who I have as the most priority player as Matt in Matt Corral. Um, but I think Pickett profiles well to start day one. I think he's a game manager, which it can be fine. And in the right system, he could be a really good quarterback. Um, Number three, I've got Sam Howell, quarterback at a U- University of North Carolina. Um, based on this one, off of upside. Uh, me personally, when I when I do rankings, I like to not project with players as much. Um, obviously, you're gonna have to project sometimes, and and I think there's a there's a balance, a happy medium between ba- ranking on projection and ranking on what they can do from day one and in their first year. Um, I think Sam Howell is a guy you gotta kind of project quarterbacks a little different. You gotta project a lot at quarterback because college and NFL games are so different, offenses are so different, defenses are so different. But I think Sam Howell is a guy you can look at and go, man, you saw what he did as a freshman at UNC with a lot of weapons around him, even in his second year there. Um his this last his third year there this past season, they lost two, what was it, two f- top three round wide receivers last year. I mean that you know they have lost a lot of talent, not to mention the best running back duo in the country they had uh in 2020. So Um, I think he was a a, his lackluster season, if we'll call it that this year, was a byproduct of having less talent around him at UNC. And I think putting him in the right offense, he could do a lot of great things. He's one of the best downfield passers in this group outside of Malik Willis, in my opinion. So um, I like Sam Howell a lot. I think he can be a really good quarterback for a team uh, down the line. It may take a couple of years, but I think he could be a solid quarterback for a few teams uh, in the right system with the right weapons around him. Uh, Number two. We got Matt Corral at Ole Miss. Um, I've am fir- I'll i I'll, I'll plant this flag now. If Matt Corral would have played for a couple more years in college in an offense like he had at Ole Miss, he'd have been the bona fide QB one in this class. It's not even close. Um, but he didn't. He got hurt in the Sugar Bowl as well. Or no. Yeah, he got hurt in the Sugar Bowl against Baylor. So. You know, here we are. We don't really have a QB1. He's not my QB1. I think he's the most per ready though. I think he's got a really sneaky athletic profile. Um I think he pushes the ball downfield well. I think he has the best right now has the best processor of the group. Um I just think he sits in the pocket really well. I think he He's just smart. Um, like I said, if he had played in a, in a better offense in college for a couple more years, like like this old, like this, the Ole Miss offense with Lane Kiffin, we're talking about a different prospect here. Um, my number one prospect, at quarterback, same as yours, Brett, is going to be uh, Malik, Malik Willis, pardon me, out of Liberty. Um, this is a guy. Why he chose to transfer to Liberty, I'm not really sure. I think he did himself a detriment and a disservice by doing that. Another thing that if talking about what ifs, like, what if Malik Willis doesn't go to Liberty and goes to an actual power five school? He's probably the fide QB one. Um, we're going to live. This is the reality we live in though. This isn't, you know, the Marvel's what if TV show. <laughs> so we're going to operate under the, under the, he went to Liberty, uh, you know, reality that we're in and, and he's still QB one. Um, his senior bowl performance vaulted him to that for me personally, at least. Um, he had a great senior bowl, by far the best quarterback there. Um, not- noteworthy that Matt Corral was not there. He's the only quarterback that we've kind of talked about that wasn't there. Um, though Malik Willis, like you said, the arm is is absurd. Uh, like I said, bet on the arm talent earlier. Bet on this kid's arm talent. I mean, you look at what Josh Allen and Justin Herbert have turned into, and those were guys, man, they have crazy arm talent. And even Pat Mahomes uh, a few years ago, crazy arm talent. Man, if you bet on it and you hit You're striking gold, and you could be striking gold with Malik Willis. I think he needs a year. He definitely needs a a full season to just sit and learn. I think throwing quarterbacks to the fire too early is a huge mistake. I think we saw it with you know guys like Josh Rosen, guy who got thrown to the Sam Sam Darnold, too. Both those guys in the same class, they got thrown into the fire from week one, and and it was kind of a train wreck from then on in their careers. Um, you know, Rosen more than Darnold, but you know, I think he needs a year to sit learn behind preferably a veteran quarterback, not Sam Darnold, if he goes to Carolina. Um, I'd prefer to him to let for him to land somewhere. Like if, even in Detroit with Jared Goff. Jared Goff's one he, he went to a Super Bowl. I mean, he's looked like a really good quarterback and he's a really smart guy. Um, he has not made them the, the mistakes that a guy like Sam Darnold has made in the past. So if he went to Detroit, I think it'd be a really good spot for him. I think they have the weapons there of the future with TJ Hockinson and Amanda St. Brown. So could see. Um, I don't think he goes two, but if they trade back, I think he'd be a great fit in uh in Detroit if we're just gonna throw that out there. Um, I'll start with running backs here. Um my fifth running back, it was close. It was really close, but I'm gonna go with James Cook out of the University of Georgia. Um, kind of split time with Zamir White there and uh, kind of a running back by committee type of deal out in Georgia with another couple other young running backs they have on the roster. But uh, James Cook, got a great athletic profile. He's got great lineage. His brother Dal- is Dalvin Cook, top ten running back in the NFL. Um, unlike his brother, James is still a little bit more healthy in college, although Dalvin was pretty healthy in college as well. Um, got a good track record for the most part health-wise. Uh, obviously, running backs are get a ding here and there. But um, coming in at my fifth running back is James Cook. My fourth running back, a guy who – uh, lit it up at the, at the senior bowl. His tape is really good. It's clean, uh, really physical players. Uh, Damian Pierce out of the university of Florida. I'm a big fan of his as of late. I uh, kind of got put on to him after the charges met with him once. Um, and I was like, man, I kind of got to watch this kid, you know, um, I have a couple of people that I know on, on NFL draft Twitter uh, talking about him. So I went and looked and man, this kid's explosive. Um, one of my favorite things about a running back is when they're explosive upon contact and their first few steps are explosive with the ball um and they can build that momentum kind of in the backfield and he does a great job of that um there's a clip and I want to say it was against Florida State he gets his helmet ripped off of him on a goal line run at like the four yard line, and he, and he pushes through and, and he keeps running and and while it's a penalty it's a dumb one at that um it just shows the passion he plays with and the physicality he plays with um and I really like that in running back come in at number three a guy that actually Brett and I's high school football team went up against our junior year of high school. I uh, got to see this guy play in person, and I'll tell you what, we would not have beat them if they stopped, if they would have just kept giving him the ball. He was ripping us for eight yards of carry and um, kind of did the same thing to some SEC defenders at Hex Day and it was Isaiah Spiller. Um, I think he's a little unrefined in the pass game, not a great pass catcher. You could take, he could use some work um, when the run blocking game, the pass blocking game, rather. Um, but he got all the physical tools to be a workhorse in the NFL. He's big. He's big enough to be a workhorse. There's other, basketball guys I mentioned probably don't have the size profile to be a workhorse in, in the NFL. I think that's what kind of separates uh running back, running backs two and one from three through the rest of them for me. Um, that I'll get to in a second here is, is the workhorse ability, but I think Isaiah Spiller's got that upside and I think he's a, I get a physical runner. So uh, I think if he can get to the NFL and get some work with a team that, that that can teach him how to pass block a little better and catch the ball better and just be a more natural pass catcher, um, he could be really solid. Number two, uh, this is where Brett and I, Brett, and I differ a little bit. I got Brees Hall out of Iowa state at number two guy who was the perennial running back one coming into the off season. Um, I don't want to say he had a down year. He didn't have the year he had his sophomore year at Iowa state, but the entire team didn't have that kind of, that same kind of season. Brock party didn't, the offense didn't, um, Brees Hall though tested really, really well. Um, and he's, like I say, he's just, he's a natural runner. He's a natural pass catcher. He's a natural blocker. Um, it's really, really close for me at running back one and two. It's really more like one a and one B. But I think he's can absolutely be a workhorse in the NFL. Um, I think we had him going to the New York giants in our last uh, mock on the pod. I think he would be a great fit there. Um, He's, he's, I think he's a running back one in the NFL I think he can be a lead back for a team. So, uh, He's really close behind my running back one, which is going to be Kenneth Walker out of Mississippi State, or Kenneth Walker the third, rather. Get that. Put some respect on that. Uh, out of Michigan State, uh, transferred from Wake Forest uh, in 2020, moved move over to Michigan State in the past off season in 2021, and had a Heisman type of season there. Um, man, he he's a workhorse. He's an explosive back. He's a really natural pass catcher. Really, really, really good pass blocker. Um, I like his game a lot. I like his explosiveness. He's not going to be, now he tested really well and he ran on a sub four, four, but he's not a guy who's going to go outrun everybody on the field, but he's just an explosive runner. He accelerates really well. And he, I like what he can do in the open field as a home run hitter. So uh, that's why he's my running back one. It's really just the home run hitting effect that he can, that he can do. Take a pass for, pardon me, take a pass for, you know, 60 yards to the house or take it inside zone, 75 yards to the crib. Um, you know, whatever it may be, I think he—I think he fits whatever a team needs, and I think he's a running back one for a team and a guy who might be a first-round pick. I don't have him graded as a first-rounder. I don't think he should be, but you know, listen—if there's a team that wants a running back that bad, like the Buffalo Bills, maybe in the end of the first round, that want a running back one, that's the guy you'd go take. I think and that's why he's a running back one.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, five guys who I similarly have ranked. Uh, not exactly, though, but definitely some guys that could be taken and then maybe the tail end of the first. A few guys could go in the second. Probably third and fourth is where you'll see most of the guys go. Um, but Damian Pierce, the guy from Florida you just talked about, uh, I was trying to pick between him and Brian Robinson out of Alabama for my fifth, but for the sake of – information i'll talk about Brian robinson as my fifth running back out of alabama a guy that really waited his turn there in a loaded room like many other rooms there at alabama but i mean you could make the case that he was just surrounded by a really good roster and that most running backs will do well in that offense um but when jonathan taylor came out out of wisconsin he had an incredible offensive line a lot of people were mentioning that when they were given the reports on him and now, look, and he's one of the best backs in the league. Uh, O-line does obviously affect your performance as a running back, but it's not the entire reason. And I think, you know, Brian Robinson being a running back five in this draft is definitely worthy of – I mean, he's definitely worthy of that ranking. I think he could step in, be a solid running back two for a few years. He could even develop into that running back one role if needed due to injury maybe then at number four, I have James Cook out of Georgia, who you had at number five. I just think Cook is a really, really good pass catcher. He does so, show signs of his older brother, like you said, who is currently on the Minnesota Vikings. I think his older brother, when he stays healthy, which has always been an issue, uh, is a top three running back in the NFL. It'll be interesting to see where James Cook goes, probably end of the third, early fourth round. Uh, I think he's a really, really good, complete running back. He can hit the holes quick. Similar to what you said about Kenneth Walker, Cook is a very good accelerator, uh, probably the best pass catching back in this draft. Uh, His partner in the running back room there at Georgia, Zamir White, was more so the home run up the middle guy that they had who could also be on these rankings but just missed the cut. Uh, At number three, same as you, I'm going to go with Isaiah Spiller out of A&M, a guy that's really complete as well. I think, you know, Spiller's maybe not the fastest in this draft, but it runs good routes and, you know, is quick out of the backfield, which is underlooked for running backs. Um, normally, you talk about good routes for receivers, but you know, when a running back runs a really good routes, like I've seen from Isaiah Spiller. It's definitely something worth noting It's something that boosts your stock. Uh, and then my number two, who we switched, uh, my number two is Kenneth Walker out of Michigan State. Um, kind of the bruiser workhorse of this class uh, while also being able to catch catch, catch passes out of the backfield. Um, pretty much identical speed to the guy I have at number one. Um, just built a little bit differently, have a little bit different uh, games. Walker is probably better inside the tackles than outside. While my guy at number one is better outside, I believe. Um, But my guy at number one, Brees Hall out of Iowa State. I know when Texas Tech played him, they had a good bit of issues with him, keeping him, you know, three yards a carry. I think he bursted for more than 10 yards about five times in the game this year. Definitely, I think he's my running back one because he's a better pass catcher. And I think his sideline-to-sideline quickness is a little better. Um, Straight line speed, Kenneth Walker might be better. But I think Brees is more elusive and more complete in that regard. So I'm going to go with Brees. I think he'll probably go around 40th pick, maybe between 40 and 50, i say he'll probably get drafted. Uh, But that's our running back rankings. I'm going to go right into the wide receiver rankings here. And we are a little bit different here with the same – wide receiver one uh, Traylon Burks is my wide receiver five out of University of Arkansas. I had a tough time picking. There's a lot of guys that could have made the cut here at five as we're trimming the list to only five. I mean, it could have been Christian Watson, George Pickens, uh, but I'm going to go with Burks just because the yards after catch ability. I mean, he might be the best in this draft at yards after catch. Um, people are leaning towards recent news, which he kind of had a underwhelming combine A couple of receivers above him are, you know, playing well and did well in the offseason at their pro days and stuff. And so Burks has kind of slipped down some boards, but I definitely think he's a guy that could be a top three, you know, wide receiver in this draft when it's all said and done production-wise at the next level. Uh, He has all the tools to be a successful dominant wide receiver in the NFL – Uh, I think it'll probably take a few years as teams kind of figure out where to play him and what his role will be in the offense. Uh, Obviously that all depends on where he gets drafted, which we'll find out here soon. Uh, Number four, I got Chris Olave out of Ohio state. Um, The most loaded wide receiver room probably since the 2018 Alabama wide receiver room. Uh, But I think Olave is, you know, that, that, Prototypical deep threat, a guy that can take the top off the defense any given play, regardless of who else you have on that offense. uh, Straight line speed is incredible. Number three, Jamison Williams at Alabama. uh, Had the injury not happened in the national championship, I think he's probably wide receiver one. Uh, Obviously, even though the recovery could be routine, you don't always return to form. And some guys it takes longer to return to form than others. I just don't know with him. Kind of a smaller guy. Built very similarly to Devontae Smith, who was drafted a year before him out of Alabama as well. A little bit different games, but in terms of build, I don't know if that you know, build will last these days, like this current state of where the NFL is. I guess we'll wait and see, but I think Jameson is a really, really good prospect. I think him going maybe around, I mean, he could go 11th to Washington Commanders. He could go, you know, 20th. I mean, anywhere in the top 20, I think I could see him going past, you know, six or so. So, I mean, all the top three receivers that we both have are similar. And I think a lot of guys could go in the six to 20 range, could be up to five receivers. I think, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if any of these five guys were the first wide receiver taken. It'd definitely be like interesting. And, I'd want to wonder what team the team that took the first receiver was thinking, but I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, a lot of these guys all are very different different games and how they got their yards was very different, but they're all very similar. I think in terms of potential production at the next level and a guy at number two, who could be number one in production is Garrett, sorry, Drake London uh, out of university of Southern California. Uh, a guy that got injured this year, but had he not, he would have been wide receiver one. Uh, I think he has all the intangibles that most offenses look for in a current wide receiver in the NFL, bigger guy, big catch rate is a guy. That's really unique in this wide receiver class. George Pickens is also about six, four, six, three, Christian Watson's taller. Um, a little skinnier though. So Drake London's kind of a unicorn in this wide receiver room. Uh, but definitely a guy that I could see being the first wide receiver off the board, even though there hasn't been much buzz around it. Um, And then my guy at number one, Garrett Wilson out of Ohio state, another guy that our high school also played our junior year and he put on a show. Um, He went to Lake Travis high school, which is a factory for successful college level players. Uh, Garrett's a guy that's, you know, Typical wide receiver nowadays in the NFL, similar to Calvin Ridley, just a better athlete. And I think Garrett, you know, 5'11 or so, 191, I believe. So a hair on the smaller side of the receiver, but nonetheless a guy that can, you know, still take the top off the defense. He still has that straight line speed, a uh, ridiculous athlete. He can jump really high. He plays, you know, a little bit bigger than 5'11, which is always good for an offense when, You know, the only big receiver projected to go first round is Drake London. So definitely something that teams are going to look for in in, uh, Garrett Wilson is how he can come in day one and complement their wide receiver room. I think he can really do anything for a team regardless of the wide receivers that are there, but not a GM, so always something to look at. And I think it'll be really interesting, you know, down the stretch leading up to the draft to see where teams have wide receivers.
1: Yeah. Like you said, we're not GMs. That's why the seats are cold here. The tanks are still going to be hot, that's why the seats are cold. We're not GMs, but, um, yeah. you know, this is, this is how, you know, we see the boards shaking out. Brett, like you said, we have really, really similar boards for wide receivers. Um, what place that different from you is wide receiver five and it's, I wanted to go five A and five B, but I wasn't going to do that. I think Pickens is better than Burks. Um, so yeah, George Pickens is my wide receiver five. That's only place a different from Brett Burks is my wide receiver six. Um, and I'll kind of add some I'll, – I'll shed some light on why that is. I just think that universe of, our, of Arkansas used him in every way they possibly could, and I think there's other guys in this list that if they had the usage that Burks had, they, they'd be higher ranked than he would. Um, so that's, that's kind of why I have that feeling and that thought on, on Traylon Burks. Granted, I think if he goes to that offense, he's going to be a monster. He could be an absolute freak. I just think that about a lot of these guys. It's a loaded wide receiver class. Yeah. Um, Probably the best wide receiver class we've seen in a while. So we're going to do it. Like I said, George Pickens at wide receiver five. I think the guy's getting slept on. He was one of the best receivers in the country for Georgia his freshman year. Had some untimely injury issues. So I think think he gets picked a lot lot earlier than people are projecting. Um, I think he'll have a great uh, college, high school. Pro career uh, wherever he ends up, uh, wide receiver four similar to Brett's going to be Chris Olave. Really smooth player, really good route runner, uh, really good, really really good speed guy. Uh, he's just smooth, very natural receiver. Um, but I think he's a little bit smaller. He gets pushed around a little bit on the blocks. So he gets kind of physically beat up by bigger corners. So um, still a great receiver, really, really 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 good guy. I'd be thrilled if the Chargers took him at seventeen. Um, another guy I'd be thrilled about is Jamison Williams, wide, my wide receiver three similar to Brett. um, from here on up, Brett and I's boards are the same after after wide receiver five. So four through one, we're all the same here. Um, James Williams is a guy who can take – he can catch you a slant route uh, or, or kind of a, a skinny-out route uh, on the goal line, or he can he can catch you a screen or, or a go-ball or a post route from the one-yard line on the opposite one and take it 99 to the house. So a guy who can score from literally anywhere on the field in any sort of situation you want to put him in. Also a guy who's really, really good in the return game uh, – so another thing to look for there as some added value to teams. The ACL injury is going to scare some people off, I think. Granted, the ACL injury is routine recovery now. Um, just something that could scare people off. And I also just don't think he's as good as the other two receivers we have, I have up here ahead of him. Uh, a little skinnier build, a little smaller build, but nevertheless still a guy who can who can do it all at the receiver position. Uh, wide receiver two, and it's pretty close for me. Uh, wide receiver one, wide receiver two is really close, but two, I'm gonna go Drake London, my guy. At university, university of Southern California, USC. Um, guy who I knew was going to be at the top of this list come about a year ago from today. Uh, watching a lot of USC film, watching a lot of USC games, I knew he was going to be a monster and a highly, a highly touted guy. Um, had he not gotten hurt, he probably would have wide receiver one. He broke his ankle at the end of or kind of mid midway through the year, and he still led the pack. Well, he's still the pack 12 offensive player of the year, and he didn't, he missed like the last four or five games of the season. So um, a guy who was targeted a lot at USC but was always open. I think he gets slept on for his ability after the catch being as big as he is. Brett said he's a unicorn and I agree with that, um, especially in this class, but just in general, I think you don't often see guys who are six foot three, six foot four, six foot five, 225 pounds that move like him after the catch and can make people miss. It's not like he's running dudes over. he's making people miss. like he's he's moving around him and he's he's a really good really, really good athlete in space. Um, guy who put in the basketball team for USC. Early in his career as well. And my wide receiver one, just like Brett is Garrett Wilson, uh, Austin, Texas product, We're up in the five, one, two at Ohio State. Um, the guy is a natural, one of the most natural receivers I've ever seen. Um, you talk about a guy who's only 5'11, uh, like Brett said, about 190, 195, but he plays a hell of a lot bigger than 5'11. He plays like he's about six foot three. Uh, he can go up and get any ball, any corner, uh, no matter if it's a corner it who's his size, smaller or even bigger, he's gonna go up and get jump balls with them. Um probably the best receiver I've ever seen coming out of college in terms of body control and the ability to manipulate his body and go catch a football. That's not necessarily right in his hands, but his catch radius is insane because of the fact that he can, you know, manipulate his body midair and go catch a football and turn catch and run after the catch and pick up 10 yards. Um, So I think the guy's a bona fide wide receiver, one in the NFL. Uh, He's the tops among a loaded class. And I've been saying since, we were 14 years old when we first started, when we first saw this guy play our high school was, yeah, he's league bound. He's, he's that good. And um, I still, I've still said to this day that most single-handed dominant performance I've ever seen in a football game at any level was Garrett senior year at the state title game or his junior year. He almost willed them to a, to a championship with a sophomore quarterback um, against Allen high school, which was a, is a powerhouse. He put the clamps on another, another five-star receiver. He played corner both ways that game and absolutely went off. So just a guy I've always got a guy I've always liked watching, um coming from the Austin area where we grew up. Uh, but a guy who's wide receiver when I top a loaded class here. And I'll move into the other pass catchers in this draft, the tight ends. Um, kind of move through these guys a little quicker. It's not a great tight end class. There's not a they're not a first round tight end, in my opinion. Don't know if there's a real solid second round tight end um at the top, but my tight end five, uh pretty different more than Brett's. Is going to be James Mitchell, the tight end out of Virginia Tech. Um, basing this a lot off of last year's film, he's really, really dynamic with the ball in his hands. I guess he's more of a receiver type uh, tight end than he is a blocking tight end. Um, I think a guy you could split out wide and it's in the big slot and uh, really, like I said, really dynamic pass catcher. Um, tight end four for me is Greg Dulcich out of UCLA. Just a really, really good physical specimen. Um, he can do it all at tight end. I really like his game. He's great with the ball in his hands after the catch, but I think he's still physical enough to block in line or at the, at the H-back position. Um, another guy who did a lot of that for the, his team that he played at in college is Isaiah Likely out of Coastal Carolina. Um, guy who had a he has clean tape. There's really not a, a – he's kind of a master of none, but he's kind of good at everything type of guy. Um, so I just – I like his game a lot. I think he's – like I said, I think he's physical enough to block in, in line, but I think he's a better pass catcher than he is a blocker. Um, but he's got really good pass catching upside, and I think he's I think he'd be a really good fullback like like H back type of guy in the NFL. Um, kind of coming out the backfield catching passes, um, blocking and blocking on the outside, that kind of thing. Um, my tight end too, a guy that Brett does not have on his top five, um, a guy that most people don't. But I, I watched a lot of Ohio State film, uh, watching Garrett Nolave uh is Jeremy Ruckert a guy there were so many receivers in that Ohio State offense I mean Jamison Williams is a transfer from Ohio State went to Bama um they've got a guy who's going to be a top a top 10 pick next year probably in Jackson Smith and Jigba um best receiver in college football last year probably (laughs) and he was a sophomore um so, the target share, targets were to come by in Ohio State's offense. But when Jeremy Rucker got the ball in his hands, he was dynamic as heck after the catch. So, I really like his game. I think he's a really good blocker, actually, uh, better than he gets credit for in terms of draft rankings. And uh, I'm just a big fan of his game, that kind of thing. So, uh he's my he's my tight end 2 and then my tight end 1 uh, kind of the consensus tight end 1 post senior bowl was Trey McBride did, did not have the touchdown production at Colorado State but they ran the ball in a lot of the time from the goal line but he had a ton of catches i think he led the i think he led the nation in catches at tight end position um ton of yard production really really good guy with the ball in his hands uh, good blocker i think he's kind of the bonafide tight end one of this of this, of this class but I don't think there's a single guy who you could draft in this year's class. Be like, all right, you're our starting tight end from day one. There's guys who could develop into that, but it's kind of a weaker class. Um, that's kind of the, that's where this that's where this draft class kind of shows its lack of depth. I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think all these guys are developmental. Obviously, if you get drafted into the right scheme, they already have a good tight end. You could start if they put you in a role that's maybe best designed for you. Uh, but I'm gonna head into my top five tight end rankings with a guy that you did not talk about and Jake Ferguson out of Wisconsin. I think his three years at Wisconsin probably more consistently better than anyone in this class, Um, a really, really good blocker. And he runs solid routes. Uh, I think he could be similar to a Mark Andrews at the next level. Uh, Obviously if he gets put with a primarily blocking tight end, that'll help his game the most. I think with him being able to develop on maybe his, release at the line or his separation in the secondary I think that'll be most beneficial to him um, to go with his route running another guy that I heard a little bit of buzz about this season but when I was watching Kayvon Thibodeau I saw even a little bit more is Kate Otten the tight end out of Washington he's a really really good blocker I think that gets understated uh, in his game I think I saw about five plays where he was just blocking the just dominating the tight end opposite, or defensive end opposite Kayvon Thibodeau. I saw a rep where he went up against Kayvon Thibodeau and, you know, held his own, did a good job of holding him back, not letting him get to the quarterback. And that's all you can ask for a tight end when you're trying to block a defensive end of that caliber. And then at number three, uh, same guy that you had at number three, Isaiah Likely out of Coastal Carolina. A good blocker as well, a uh, guy that could develop in the passing game a little more, and I think he will regardless of where he goes at the next level. But a guy that could end up being the most complete tight end in this draft. But I guess we'll wait to see how his pro career goes. But I really like how, you know, they had two different quarterbacks there for him in his time there at Coastal. And with both quarterbacks he produced just as well. So definitely a guy that's not quarterback reliant and can, you know, thrive in any kind of offense. And then number two, a guy that you had at four, Greg Dulcich out of UCLA. Uh, This guy has been going up draft boards a little bit recently. Could be a third-round pick. I think whoever gets him is going to get a really good pass catcher. Probably second-best pass catcher in this draft. behind the guy that we both have at number one. But I think Dulcich is just a solid, you know, your typical tight end. Um, Solid pass catcher. Um, Probably better out of the backfield early on than on the line. Um, Similar to Pat Ricard on the Ravens just not as big or strong. Uh, definitely better, like you said, I think, in the fullback role coming out of the backfield more often than not. I think his routes will give linebackers mismatches early on for him, at least to help get him jump-started on his NFL career. And then at number one, Trey McBride, uh, easily the widest, or tight end one of this class, I think. He's the most complete. He had three different quarterbacks, I believe, there in his time at Colorado State, and he balled out. uh. You said he did lead the, uh, lead the tight ends in receptions this year. Just a guy that you can rely on, really, to be a wide receiver, too, nowadays in the NFL. I mean, tight ends are being wide receiver twos. So McBride could definitely do that and has ability in the at the line, can block, you know, can cut. So a guy to look out for at the next level, I think he could be a really solid tight end in a few years and could definitely see him starting from day one. Um, might not be the best move, but obviously, like I keep saying, it depends on where he goes. But I'm going to move into the big guys up front and the offensive tackles, and then we're going to do interior offensive line to round out the offense. I'm going to go with Tyler Smith out of Tulsa, the guy that you know probably a top 40 pick as of now. I think he is very very flexible in terms of where will play. You know, a lot of guys that are projected to be tackled that maybe wouldn't be a starting tackle at the next level or projected at guard. And I think that's exactly what Tyler Smith is. Um, Him playing guard early on, I think he'll be a really good guard, as long as he has someone good next to him, hopefully at tackle rather than center. Um, But I think, you know, if you start him at guard for a couple years, then move him to tackle, maybe if your tackle's contract's after they retire, I think it's a really good move for him. And then at number four, I have Trevor Penning, probably the most unnecessarily aggressive player in this draft, maybe in the past three years uh, out of Northern Iowa, you know, Northern Iowa always produces some good physical offensive linemen, you know, playing college football there in Iowa, you kind of, the MO is to be physical. I mean, you had Spencer Brown last year. I mean, you've had Tyro Linderbaum there down the road. A lot of guys that are physical play bigger than they are. And I think that's what Trevor Penning is. I just don't think he is technically or fundamentally sound. I think him playing at guard would be really beneficial, similar to Tyler Smith. I think they're really the top two tackles that would be better at guard, if that's a thing. Uh, so Penning playing guard early on, I know a lot of teams that would probably pick him in the top 20 might put him at guard with the exception of a couple. Definitely a guy to look out for. Um, see how he does in training camp will definitely be something to look at more so than other guys. And then, obviously, preseason is where you earn your spot on the roster. Uh, These top three guys here, we have similar guys in different orders, but they are all meant to be tackles, at least long-term. Charles Cross, probably the best best pass blocker in this draft. Really technically sound with his feet out of Mississippi State. I watched one game on him, and it's just really, really impressive what he can do every single play. I mean, there's never a play where – you know, he's, you know, slower off the ball or comes up higher. He's always staying low, keeping his feet wide and looks good, I mean, all throughout the game. Probably watch another game or two. But definitely something to look out for if he's, you know, if he's there in 12, 10 to 12 range of teams that are probably going to be wanting to trade up for him. Uh, in our most recent mock, we had the Bears trade up to seven and get him. So definitely a guy to look out for and a lot of teams will benefit from having Cross along their offensive line. Number two, I have Evan Neal out of Alabama, uh, probably the most highly touted offensive lineman in this draft. Uh, early on, it was talked about him going one overall for a while before Jags addressed their tackle vacancies. Um, but Evan Neal is definitely a guy I could see being the first tackle off the board. Uh, a lot of people have him as the first overall tackle. I like him a lot. I just think he he's probably the best right tackle. If a team needed a right tackle, he's probably the best option in this draft. Uh, but nonetheless is versatile. You can play guard, and that's what you're looking for in a high-end guy. But should definitely be playing tackle at the next level. And then my guy that I have, number one, number one player in the draft, Ikia Kwonu out of North Carolina State. I think this is another guy that's versatile. Uh, playing at NC State, you're facing quality competition in the ACC. Um, I watched him versus Clemson and he dominated as you would expect, but Clemson normally has some solid defensive linemen that, you know, give the tackles fits regardless of who they're playing. So watching a who dominate at tackle is definitely something that all NFL scouts love to see at the tackle position, just because of how valuable the tackle is nowadays. So it's definitely crazy that you can have a guy that, you know, can play all along the offensive line but dominates so well at tackle. Um, obviously, he should be playing tackle from year one. He might not be depending on who takes him, but definitely something to look out for.
1: Yeah, I think, again, we, we're pretty similar in our offensive line rankings. Our top three are the same. A um, couple differences at four and five, but um, I'll start off with, with a guy who you said was the most unnecessarily... Uh, physical player in the draft and that we've probably seen in a while. And I'm going to agree with you there. And I think it's going to be a big problem for him in the NFL is Trevor Penning as my tackle five going to come as a kind of a surprise here. say this is a hot take from the cold seat for sure. Um Most people have him as kind of the consensus tackle four. I don't, I don't love his tape. I mean, great. Listen, he's dominated against, against the talent he's going up against because he should be. I mean, it's, it's playing D2 FCS talent. I mean, it's not, it's not like he's playing, Guys in a power five conference every week. Um, Like the guy I'm going to talk about is my tackle four. So um, great. Listen, he's a great athlete, but being a great athlete doesn't always translate to being a great offensive tackle. I mean, Orlando Brown jr. Had one of the worst combat performances I've ever seen in my life. And he's a great tackle in the NFL. So um, I'm just not a big fan of Trevor Penning's game. Could could he be a tackle for a team? Yeah, but he's a project and I think he could be better suited as a guard in the NFL. Um, I also think he's going to see a lot of issues his first season as a rookie, he did me guys who are going to circle. Oh, Hey, we're playing the Trevor Pennington scene this week. Oh, I'm going to circle that one. I'm going to go extra hard this week on him because guys known to be kind of, kind of a jerk, uh, putting it nicely. And, and, uh, he said a lot of things about being physical in the NFL. So, um, you know, that, that's just how I feel about it. I don't think he's his senior bowl was average. I think that his senior bowl performance being great was overplayed and overdone. I think he, had a people thought he had to go to senior role because he made all these flashy moves with throwing people to the ground, which isn't actually blocking. That's just throwing people to the ground, which isn't going to work in the NFL. That's a holding every time. So I'm not a fan of his game. Really not a fan of him as a player. Um, probably still my tackle five, though. But tackle four, here's my hot take from the Colts. I get a Abe Lucas out of Washington State uh as my tackle four. Reason being for this is he had some really, really, really good tape against Kayvon Thibodeau at right. He's a right tackle. Um, through and three is a right tackle. He's not gonna be more than that in the NFL. Could be a guard, maybe, but I think he's a bona fide right tackle. Um, he had a good tape against Thibodeau and the rest of the Oregon front. Uh, you know, Thibodeau beat him? Yeah, but is a, a high-end edge rusher and he's one of the best in the class. So he was one of the best defenders in the country last year. So getting beat by him is not gonna, you know. Oh, no, you got beat by a guy who's going to be a, a starting edge rusher for an NFL team. That's going to happen, right? Like, he also held his own against him, though. So, um, you know, going against Power 5 competition every week uh, it was a really, really good, all you know, all-conference tackle in the Pac-12. So, um, I just like his game a lot. He's a, he's a natural mover. He's pretty smooth. Um, he's definitely got some technically technically refined uh, game in a couple aspects where you got some refinement to do and a couple other aspects. I like him as a, as a pass blocker, though. Um, I think he's, for the most part, pretty smooth there. A um, couple things to refine te- technically, but, uh, you know, I, I like his game uh, in terms of a guy who I could see being a quality right tackle in the NFL. I think he's got all the traits to do so. Um, a guy who I have at three, you have at three as well, as Charles Cross, Mississippi State tackle. Uh, I think he's the, like you said, the best pass blocking tackle in this class. He's a straight-up left tackle. He's been taking a lot of reps at right tackle in his training. Uh, So teams that can draft him may want to move the right tackle, he can do so. A couple teams, if he slips in the draft, like the Ravens, for example, or the Chargers that could need a right tackle, could take him and play him there. Um, So he's kind of preparing for that. Uh, But a guy I really like, really, really smooth mover, really natural athlete. Uh, Could definitely use some work in the run game a little bit, just being a a, a little more slender build for a left tackle. But by by no means is he a bad run blocker. He's a great run blocker. Um, He has great feet. Really, really fast feet. So, um, having quick feet in the NFL is going to get you a long way. And I think he has that, uh, f- you know, maybe the best feet in the class. Uh, my tackle two, who your tackle one is, is going to be Ikea Kwonu. And it's a close margin between him and Evan Neal. I like both of them a lot. Uh, Ikea's game is really, really solid. There's not a lot of weaknesses to it. So, I'm, I'm, that's another reason I'm a big fan of his. Um, I think he's just a quality player. He can play a guard if you need him to. He can play both tackle spots. Um, he's really big He's just like i said a natural player um there's not really much negative to say about the guy honestly about his game he's a really good athlete so um yeah that's that, like like you hit on with number 1 he's a great player um my tackle 1 is Evan Neal um like you said best right tackle in the class and i'll and i'll stand by that with you um really really solid player i think he is the best tackle in this class for a couple of reasons. I think he offers the best versatility. I think he could be a really, really, really good left tackle for a team. And I don't know. I think his drop-off between positions is a little bit better than the is. Um, He started at guard his freshman year at Alabama, started at at right tackle last year for Alabama, and started at left tackle this year for Alabama. Um, He played at a high level at all three positions. So I think you could plug and play him at a really, really high level in any system in the NFL. So. Uh, that's why he's my tackle one and uh you know not to say that you know there's nothing bad about his game he's sure he has some weaknesses but every player has weaknesses um but there's a couple of clips of him going up going up against who was probably the best defender in college football last year was Will anderson who will probably be the first pick in the nfl draft next year if not the third or fourth um and he just dominates him at right tackle that's why i think he's the best right tackle in the class i think that's where his best film is and He's a monster of an athlete, really, really good athlete. He's huge. He's like six, seven. Um, you don't, you don't see guys move as, as smooth as he does at six, seven. Um, so again, it's just rare, rare size and athleticism paired together with Evan Neal. I'll get into the interior offensive linemen here. Um, boards are kind of, I don't want to say all over the place, um, but they're all over the place in terms of kind of evaluators across the league. Um, after you kind of get past the top three guys, there's a, there's guys who you think are guards that are tackles. Like Brett has a guy on his list that I think is a tackle and he thinks is a guard. And that's, and that's fine. Cause there's a lot, he, he could do both in the NFL. Um, you could very well play guards first year and play tackle second year. We never know this kind of thing. That's, you know, offensive lines a of position that you see a lot of guys move around in their first couple of years. So, but I'll kick us off here. Uh, my, my guard my interior offense line five is rather is a uh, Dylan Parham uh, guard out of Memphis. I think he just, a, just a sound player. Um, I don't think he's a center. I don't think he's a tackle. I think he's a guard through and through, which knocks him, knocks him a little bit for me in the in the ILL position. Um, I think versatility is a huge one. Being able to play across all three spots is key. Also, I think interior alignment that have the value to maybe kick the tackle if you needed him to is key as well. I just don't know if Parham's that guy. Um, I don't think he played any tackle at Memphis, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So I think he was just a pure guard prospect there. But ain't nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being a pure guard prospect. That was Clinton Nelson coming out of Notre Dame. So... He was picked sixth overall, and he's one of the best players in the NFL. So I think Dylan Parham could be a you know a solid starting guard for a team in a couple of years here. Um, number four for me is going to be Jamari Sollier, a guard out of Georgia, guy who played tackle for him a couple times. That's a really good tape there. He has, some, he has some great tape against Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo in the semifinal game against Michigan. Um, I don't think he's a tackle at the next level. I don't know if he's quite athletic enough on the edge to deal with edge rushers at the next level. Um, but I think he's a really, really, really solid guard. I um, think he's a really good run blocker, really good pass blocker. Um, and I just, like I said, there's no, there's no relief to his game at guard. I don't think he's not going to have to see the speed rushers i will see in the NFL at, at tackle at guard. Um, you don't really see that at guard in the NFL. So um, like his game a lot, like his versatility, again, if you have a guy who blows an Achilles or blows a knee, you know, in the third quarter of a game and you got to have someone kick the tackle, Salyer can do that if you needed him to. Um, he's not a long-term starter there for sure, but he's a guy you can plug and play if need be at tackle, um, coming in at number three, a guy who's played, uh, every position in the offensive line for his team, uh, the Texas A&M Aggies other than center, I think it be Kenyon green, a guy who was really, really, really highly ranked coming into the season. Um, people thought he'd make that move, the right tackle and kind of seamlessly do it and watching tape of him at right tackle. It's very evident why they moved him. From tackle to guard mid-game against Colorado, the first game of the year. He looked really uncomfortable at right tackle. He looked lost. He just did not look good at all at right tackle. Um his film at left tackle against Alabama is actually really, really good. It's pretty solid. He gets a lot of help in that game, but you know, it's it's better tape than he had at right tackle. Um, so I think he's a guard prospect in NFL through and through. He's got high guard upside, but um don't think he's a tackle again a guy. you, You can slide out if you need, if you need him to play left tackle, but Certainly not a right tackle. And I just don't think he's a tackle at the next level for that reason. He just looks so much more comfortable, so much more at home at guard. Um, and that's just the way some of these guys are. He's, he's plenty athletic. Um, you know, he didn't test great, but, you know, he's got really long arms. I just don't think he's, he profiles as a tackle at the next level. He just doesn't look as comfortable there, um, which is fine. Uh a guy who's vers- pretty versatile as my number two going would be Zion Johnson, a guy I would be thrilled with if the Chargers took at 17. He can slot in, play guard. I think he's a Pro Bowl guard in the NFL. Um, probably the best offensive lineman at the Senior Bowl. I don't, actually, not probably. He was the best offensive lineman at the Senior Bowl. Um, played center, which he didn't do at Boston College. He played some tackle at Boston College as well when he transferred from Davidson. His second season at BC, he decided that he could have gone last year, probably been a third or fourth-round pick out of BC last year uh, as a tackle prospect, tackle guard prospect, but he's came back to Boston college for his last season um, for senior year, played guard for him. Really, really standout player. He's good in every aspect of the game. Uh guy, I guess you can play center. He played, played center really, really well at the senior bowl. Um, so you get a guy who can play all three positions up front and maybe a guy you feel like you can have emergency tackle from, but um, I was tempted to put him at, 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 My first position, my first ranking spot in this list. Um, it's it's real close with him and my number one Tyler Linderbaum, who's a center only prospect. Which is the only thing that really dings Linderbaum is that he's only a center at the next level. But, um, Brett and I've said it on the pod before maybe a top five or ten football player in this class. Um, really, really, really good player, really good center. Um, hard to understand the value you can have in having a great center. And uh, I think he brings that to the table. There's no weakness to his game. He's a little undersized, which is okay. It's not the center position in the NFL as long as you have some bigger guards next to you. Um, Nikki may be a little bit stronger, but other than that, he's one of the most technically sound players in this draft. Um, I really like him a lot. Uh, yeah, I mean, not, not, there's not much to say about the guy. I think he's a great football player. So um, I'll, I'll let Brett take it away here.
0: Yeah, as we kind of round out our offensive positional rankings that we have for y'all today, uh, my Four of my top five guys from my interior offensive line rankings are pretty versatile guys that could play tackle guard. Some could play center. Um, but I'm going to start at number five, Darian Kinnard out of Kentucky, a guy that you didn't have on the list. Uh, I see him as a guard. I think he could be a starting guard year one. Uh, would love if the Ravens took him in, you know, in the middle rounds. But, you know, going to Kentucky, you're playing at a really good up and coming SEC school, I watched LSU versus Kentucky, and he played really, really well for them. Uh, I just think he can play tackle. I just think he needs to get a little quicker on his feet to be able to play there at the next level. I think him being a guard next to a good tackle would be really beneficial for him early on. So that's why I have him at number five in my interior rankings. Number four is a guy that you had in your rankings, and Dylan Parham out of Memphis, uh, partially because – I like Memphis. Uh, They always have some good athletes coming out of there for the draft. But, you know, Parm is a guy that could play center, and I think that's probably where he'll start out. Hopefully, I would love to see him be center for, you know, maybe a younger quarterback, and those guys can kind of develop chemistry through the years. haven't watched any of him, but I probably will at some point. And I'd love to see him do well. I think he's a really solid center guard prospect. Number three is your number three, and Kenyon Green out of Texas A&M, a guy that would be a really, really good guard, similar to the guy I have at number two. I think they'll both be really good guards at the next level. Um, Kenyon, I think, can slide to tackle if you need him too. And, you know, while it's awesome to have a guard, I think of his caliber of what he will be, it's even better to have that flexibility in an offensive lineman that you so desperately look for, really. And a guy number two that I have, Zion Johnson, out of Boston College. I think he's probably the strongest guy in this draft. Dominated this offseason. I mean, you couldn't have helped your stock more than he did. Um, I think my dream scenario for the Ravens right now is probably trading back four or five spots and taking him to play our left guard. Uh, I think him playing guard is – the best option, I think he could be all pro guard first three years. And I mean, the guy's just incredible, a road grader. Uh, I know that's really important for a team that runs pretty much more than anyone else. And I mean, he can pull his footwork. Obviously if you're a road grader, you probably don't have the best footwork, but you know, you still have to have that ability to pull as a guard, uh, even some plays as a center, which will lead me to my number one ranking in Tyler Linderbaum. Tyler Lindebaum is not versatile. He is a center only. And I think out of Iowa, Iowa's produced a lot of really, really good O-linemen. Uh, you look back, at least, they produced Marshall Yonda about 15 years ago. And if you know NFL, you know what he did at the NFL level. I think Tyler Lindebaum will have a similar impact to a team. I think he does his job better than anyone in this class. I have him as the second best football player in this class. I have a Kwonu as number one because he brings more value to a team, but I think Linderbaum does his job the best uh, as a center. So, I mean, a little undersized. I think at his pro day he came in at 6'2 and a quarter, 301. So we see these numbers inflate a little bit each measurement as we get through the offseason. His playing weight will probably be closer to 290, um, which some teams are a little worried about. Some teams don't really care as much. So it'll be interesting to see who gets him and – You know, what size the guards are on each side of him, uh, because that is always beneficial on a lot of those, you know, blocks up to the linebacker, especially in power schemes. But I'll be looking for him to have a huge impact from day one. I think he will bring immense value to a team, you know, never had any snapping issues, which is always overlooked at the center position. Um, Definitely a guy that I want to see succeed. I think. He is projected similarly to Creed Humphrey, is just a little more, he's a little smaller. And I think Creed fell in the draft a good bit compared to where people thought he was going to go, um, going there in the second round. But I think Linderbaum will be a top three center in his first few years. And, you know, these are just our rankings, like we've been saying, but definitely something to look out for is how these guys produce at the next level and how they translate to the offense. That pretty much wraps up the episode that we have for y'all today. A longer episode as we got into these positional rankings and kind of went a little bit in depth about each guy that we had ranked and where and why we had them ranked at the spot we did. Next week we're going to come back with an episode and we are going to have our defensive side of the ball, our top five players at each position on the defense. Um, So from edge rushers to IDLs to linebackers to corners and safeties, we're going to have all that for y'all a week from today and a week before the draft. So um, Brady, do you have anything? Uh, I know just make sure you stay tuned, try to leave us a rating, follow us on Twitter, Instagram at Coltsy podcast, but can't really think of anything else.
1: Yeah, no, we wanted to get into defense today, but uh, ran a little long, just trying to get into these offensive players um, longer than we thought, which is fine. Uh, Happy to push that out till next week. Um, Allows us to get you guys more in-depth on those guys as well. But uh, like Brett said, keep listening. We appreciate it. Uh, follow, follow us on social at Cold Seat Podcast. And uh, got Mock Draft Monday coming out on Monday for you guys. Should be a good one. And uh, as we inch closer to the draft, uh, it gets really exciting. So you guys got to stay listening for that kind of stuff. Uh, have some great draft content coming up for you guys. So stay listening. We'll see you guys next week. Yeah, thank you.